It is the time of the year again when pilgrims complete their journey to Namgongo to pay respect to the long-dead Christian convents who suffered public execution at the hands of Kabaka Manga II of Buganda between 1885 and 1887. The story of the Uganda matters is well known and for those unfamiliar with the story, the bones of the story are detailed in this podcast. The Uganda matters a group of 23 Anglican and 22 Catholic converts to Christianity in the historical kingdom of Buganda, now part of Uganda. They were executed between 31st January 1885 and 27th January 1887 on orders of Mwanga II, King of Buganda. In the late 1800s, Buganda Kingdom was at the center of tri-religious struggle between Catholics, Protestants and Muslims to exert influence over the kingdom affairs. The British arrived in Uganda alongside the Protestant and Catholic missionaries. For the Arabs, they had been trading with Buganda for decades, so Islam was already established in central Uganda. A decade earlier, the Muslim converts had suffered a familiar fate at the hands of Mwanga's father, Kabaka Mutesa I. He executed more than 87 Muslim converts for their refusal to denounce Islam. Mutesa I is known to have earned himself a nickname, Mukabia, translated as the one that makes people cry because of his brutal and uncompromising approach. The story of the Uganda matters is often the victor's version of the story that is within the reach. From the British colonial government, post-colonial elites, local and international media, the story of Uganda matters is more than the loss of life at the hands of uncompromising teenage king that ordered their executions. The tragedy of the martyrs and the contested narratives surrounding why the martyrs met their death has provided a convenient box on which a broad spectrum of political, cultural and religious contestations are claimed, including the curious absence of the female martyrs. On such a front is the retelling of the colonial struggles, resistance and revolution taught in schools since independence aimed at instilling anti-colonial mindset in young Ugandans. The ambiguously narrated stories of the matters prompted occasions of quiet admirations for Mwanga despite the sweeping guilty consciousness associated with the young monarch's approach. I went to Uganda Matters High School in Kampala a Catholic school which favored the official version of the executions. For the Catholic Church, the martyrs met their death as a result of their Christian faith. I am therefore familiar with the popular story of the martyrs it formed part of our school culture. Ugandan education was indeed puzzling. We spent time learning about men knighted by the Queen of England for the services to the then crumbling empire. We studied the revered figures of Sir Apollo Kagwa. In fact, the school opposite to the one I attended in junior school took his namesake. 
together with Smeika Kunguru who sold out Buganda to the British, we studied that the martyrs disobeyed their king and thus sacrificed themselves in the name of their Christian faith. As Ugandan education system is set up mirroring that of their colonial masters, the curriculum littered with histories of men and revolutions, I escaped the misfortune of having to study Henry VIII and the death of his unfortunate wives, the Catherines. At the same time, this seemingly model of post-colonial curriculum also included undercurrents of rebellion and resistance. We studiously observed the histories of political revolutions, whether French, Cuban, Algerian, or Russian. This was the mishmash of the official history that I had to cram for exams to obtain Uganda Ordinary Certificate of Education. The study of matters stood out for me being in a Catholic school. The matters story was as essential as that of learning about Henry VIII in the United Kingdom. Of course, as kids, the culmination of all this in Uganda Matters Day was just another public holiday and therefore just an excuse not to go to school. But the tales of colonial struggles, resistance and revolution that littered the curriculum in the 1990s Uganda sparked a quiet admiration for me for Mwanga. Here was the man who resisted colonialism to extreme. In our history classes, we were taught about great revolutionaries. The idea, I suppose, was to instill us with anti-colonial mindset and prepare us from resisting neocolonialism. However, our very own example of a man who resisted colonialism was thrown upon. When we celebrate Uganda matters, it is the converts who are the heroes and not the Kabaka. I'm not denying that he did wicked things, he murdered men in the most barbaric manner with explicit purpose of warning others not to follow their footsteps. In this way, Kabaka Mwanga too was an oppressor of individual freedoms. But it seems incompatible with our revolutionary syllabus that he had been forever cast as an anti-hero and like converts and psychophants who were martyred. Being brought up as a Christian and admiring the Kabaka for his resistance to colonialism was a moral dilemma. On one hand, he was a murdering bigot. On the other, he was a sage tactician. Kabaka Manga demonstrated that unity across kingdoms would be required to overcome the common enemy. He sought unity with Bunyoro Kingdom, Buganda's sworn enemy, and struck an alliance with Omukama of Bunyoro to fight the British to the extreme. In my childhood days, I started equating those two kings with Shaka, the king of the Zulu. Fellow students would whisper that Mwanga was an African patriot, the Mata's imperial collaborators. With the guilt of conscience, we secretly admired Mwanga. As an adult, I even have more questions. Why were the Mata's all men? Were women at the palace smart and secretly practiced their religion? Why are Muslim Mata's remembered just in passing? The transformation of Mwanga from a resistance figure to a tyrant has taken place over decades with the help of some dominant institutions that use the story of the matters to suit their own ends. As the saying goes, until the lion learns how to write, the story will always glorify the hunter.
Here, I try to clear up some of the common threads in the manga story and how they have been used to suit the agendas of important institutions and thus altering the way the story of the matters and manga is remembered. Mwanga antagonized the British colonialists to the extreme. He ordered the assassination of missionary Bishop James Hannington even before he entered the kingdom in 1885. He was quite unlike his father Kawaka Mtesa I, who skillfully played the Arabs and traded with them. Mutesa allowed missionaries in Uganda and pitted Catholics against Protestants to his political advantage. Just like most of the present-day African presidents, he took advantage of the situation and disorganized his opposition. Kawaka Mutesa in fact survived. For his son Manga, it was a different story. He hated the colonizers and they hated him too. In a bid to destroy him, the British employed one of their finest soldiers, Lord Captain Frederick Lugard, the crusher of resistors from Nigeria to India. For the execution of the matters under the watch of Captain Lugard, the British imprisoned Mwanga in Bukoba, a remote town in neighboring Tanzania. Just as Napoleon famous escaped from uh, Elba, Against odds, Manga made his escape from Bukoba and established his kingdom. Taking no chances this time, Lugard retaliated by exiling Manga to the Seychelles Islands, where he would eventually die. A side note, Lugard was the man who convinced the British Parliament with his dual mandate to retain Uganda as a colony in 1890. This only added to my confusion. Why was Lugard the man responsible for Uganda's colonization commemorated with Lord Lugard Avenue in Entebbe, while Mwanga, Uganda's most notable resistor, is relegated to, for his notoriety? The tragedy of the matters was what gave Lugard the excuse to expel Mwanga from Buganda. This enabled the British to wash their hands of the troubled king, but also won support from political ambitious Ugandans such as Apolo Kagwa who were quick to appropriate Buganda's land and fill the political void left by the king's departure. What's more, the appropriation of Uganda matters and Mwanga's legacy continues today. Politicians still cash on the matter's story, imbuing the law surrounding the story with different meanings depending on social institutions. For example, Idi Amin's reading of the tale was closer to my own but for different reasons as we shall see. Amin oversaw the murder of the then Archbishop of Uganda, Jenan Lewum, and used the martyr's story to expunge himself from guilt by likening Lewum's murder to the killing of the martyrs, painting himself as a revolutionary resistor of the Western tyranny and accused the Bishop of spying for the West. Pointing out two matters day speeches by President Museven over the last 32 years of his rule highlights good political entrepreneurship. On Matters Day in 1986, the President's speech portrayed matters as a symbol of self-sacrifice like Museven's victorious NRM fighters, while Mwanga was likened to the Austin dictator Milton Obote. This portrayal of the matters is similar to the official explanation of the Catholic Church, which sets them out as matters because they sacrifice their lives as Christians.
Museven's 2010 matters they address in a stark contrast warned of the dangers of sodomy. For those not aware, part of the British campaign against Mwanga included publicly smearing the character of the king, accusing him of homosexuality. At the time, a crime and a grave offense in British society. Whether there was any truth in this claim, it is questionable. The first written account alleging Manga's same-sex relationship was written almost 50 years after his death, and coincidentally, at the time when the British were facing hate and resistance from the Uganda's colonial subjects. Similarly, when Museven emphasized on Mwanga's hypothetical sexuality on Mata's day, he was only inviting support from Uganda wrapped up in a moral panic over homosexuality that had swept the country in the early 2000s. It was a simple populist gambit. But in a bizarre subversion of the colonial resistance narrative, Museven argued that Uganda should honor the matters by resisting gay friendly neocolonialist influence. This confusing comparison between Mwanga and neocolonialism was nevertheless successful, in part thanks to the then-president of the United States, Obama's intervention in the homophobic narrative, which only confirmed the U.S. intervention and colonial ambitions for many of Museven's supporters. Mwanga's alleged sexuality was absent in Uganda's official history of the matters, like that which I was taught in my early education. The explosion of U.S.-funded extreme evangelist churches in Uganda broke silence over that. The religious institutions have significant leverage over the government and media and have stoked moral panic over the gay issue to the benefit of churches, government and the development aid, the wirewind of homophobia, nicely propping up the racist narrative of African backwardness on which the very industry depends on. It is ironic, and depending on how you feel about Mwanga, it's tragic that Mwanga the violent revolutionary has been reincarnated to serve the purposes of various post-colonial institutions in his homeland. I'm inclined to believe that the matters met their unfortunate death as a result of the clash between hardcore colonialists and hardcore resistance. As both Mwanga and the matters are dead, their stories will continue to be told without them, and will be twisted to suit the needs of whoever days it is to take center stage. The history of Mwanga is the history of power struggle, and so we will never know with truth the full story. If nothing else, the story of Mwanga should teach us to view history with a critical frame of mind and to remember that it is only ever the victor's version of a story and events that is ever told. There is always another untold side of the story. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. There is definitely more versions of stories about Uganda Matters and Kabaka Manga. I am Eric Mwinemugaj. I can be reached on Twitter at E underscore Mugaj. Uganda.